This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden, and this is The Leader. NHS winter war rooms are being set up by hospitals across London to deal with a health service crisis set to be worsened by impending strikes. NHS England describes hospitals as being full and says these new air traffic control style centres will use real-time data to work around health service bottlenecks. It comes as the Royal College of Nursing says up to 100,000 nurses will strike in England, Wales and Northern Ireland on the 15th and 20th of December. We've been pushed to the position of having to um, issue two dates for strike right in the middle of December when our nurses will stand on picket lines losing a day's pay on both occasions. That's Royal College of Nursing General Secretary Pat Cullen on BBC Breakfast. So what's the government saying? Here's Health Secretary Steve Barclay asked if the army could step in on strike days. Well, no formal request has been made by the Department of Health to uh, the military, but of course we will look as part of our normal contingency plans at a range of options. Uh, the priority for me is to continue the dialogue with the trade unions, with the RCN. I've been extremely clear that my door is open. But that's not all because ambulance workers have also announced plans for their first industrial action in 30 years. So now it's proposed these digital war rooms, as they're being called, will be much like the modern versions of those old Battle of Britain RAF hubs you've probably seen on films, where personnel shifted around counters on maps to mastermind battle strategy. 42 such centres will use data, including accident and emergency performance, waiting times and staff levels to find free beds or divert ambulances to where there's an available slot. To unpick what all this means for patient care, we're joined by Evening Standard Health reporter Daniel Keane. Dan, what's the current situation with hospital beds in the capital? How bad is it? And are there any trusts that have been hit worse than others? It's not good at all. So I've been looking at the weekly uh, winter situation report, which the NHS has just started releasing this winter, and the number of beds that are occupied is very high. We also have around 10 times as many flu patients taking up beds as last year. So that's a 
very, very high number. And that's before you've even got into kind of nursing strikes, before you've had a sort of COVID wave materialise. So, yeah, it is quite a grave situation that we're facing in the NHS. You've got quite big hospitals like Bart's in East London. King's College Hospital in Camberwell is under quite a lot of pressure. And I think one of the challenges will be, are other trusts that are under less pressure able to absorb some of the patients and pressure that's on the kind of hard hit trusts, which is what these war rooms that the NHS has announced or has launched, sorry, today are about. What do we know about these winter war rooms? The NHS has likened them to traffic control centres, which I think is quite a good analogy. So they're part of an approach that I think the Health Secretary and, and NHS England want to take about sort of devolving power locally. So they don't want things to be too centralised and they want the sort of stretched resources that they have to be used in quite an agile way. And they want to be able to kind of respond to immediate challenges, which at the moment is quite difficult. So this is, uh, I think, 42 centres and there's going to be 24-7 sort of control centres that will look at stuff like bed occupancy, which we mentioned, A&E attendances, ambulance response times, the staffing levels in each hospital. And it will allow the staff in those control centres to make rapid decisions on whether they should divert ambulances to a particular hospital, where free beds are available. And if all of these kind of synchronise and work together, the hope is that you won't have disastrously long waits in A&E, people turning up and having to wait over 12 hours, some of the kind of horror stories that people have been reading about in the press. Do you think they will be effective? I think so. I think it will certainly make a difference. I think it's a very good idea for the NHS, given that resources are spread very thin at the moment, to allow trusts to kind of seek help in in that way. And the truth is, yeah, when, when you look at data, there is a variation in pressure on hospitals. So I think it's only fair that the resources that we have are spread. However, there are two issues here. I mean, there's one, which is that we have strikes coming, which are going to impact the resources that a control centre might be able to deploy. And number two, you have the kind of long term issue of the workforce in the NHS, which I think is a deeper issue, actually. And essentially, if you have staff continuing to leave the health service, vacancies continuing to pop up and become unfilled, the control centres aren't really going to make any difference to that, to the kind of long-term structural issues. Let's go to the ads. Coming up, the latest on the double strike threat from both nurses and now ambulance workers. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Dan, what's the current picture on ambulance waiting times? One of the most shocking statistics which we reported last week is that you have more than one in four ambulances waiting outside London hospitals when they're arriving with ill patients. And this is the reason for the ambulance response time delays, is that when you have people waiting outside hospitals, ambulances waiting in queues, that means they can't discharge a patient into A&E and in turn the patient gets ill. So... I think the statistics last week showed that crews were waiting more than half an hour in 26% of the arrivals to hospital in London. So that's pretty shocking considering that the target is 15 minutes and then you had one in 10 waiting more than an hour. So in turn, obviously, this has a huge impact on the response times because ambulances can't then go out to treat patients and they're sort of stuck there. In terms of London, I mean, for ambulance response times, there's a bit of a postcode lottery. So the Liberal Democrats actually passed us some analysis this morning saying that every single London borough missed the 18-minute target of what the NHS deems to be safe for a Category 2 call. So that's if you have a stroke or you have chest pain. And over half of London boroughs saw waiting times over double this figure. If you're living in Enfield, you're waiting an average of 53 minutes for an ambulance if you have a stroke, which is double the figure of somebody living in Southwark. So it really shows that depending on where you live, your likelihood of getting an ambulance to your house quickly varies greatly. Wow, 53 minutes for a stroke victim? As I mentioned before, with the kind of handover delays into hospitals, this is a systemic problem when one part of the system is under pressure, it filters out into other bits. So if the ambulances can't get people into A&E, then they find it difficult to go out onto calls. Dan, we heard from the RCN's Pat Cullen earlier, but with the ambulance worker strikes, I appreciate there's a lot of moving parts, uh, but what is the latest on this? Um, do we know if London will be affected? And also, in terms of who's striking, um, is it paramedics um, as well as other ambulance workers? There's a lot of uncertainty around the um, ambulance strikes, but what we do know is that they will strike. So we have three unions now involved in this. We have the GMB union who announced their results yesterday, and we have Unison and Unite. So in terms of GMB, there's around 10,000 members that are striking, but this across nine trusts, but this won't include London. However, the Unison union announced that thousands of their call handlers, ambulance technicians, paramedics, and also people in various other roles will strike in London as well as other regions of England, so the northeast and the northwest. And then, of course, you have uh, members of Unite. So in terms of who it will affect, as I mentioned, I mean, we'll have, unfortunately, paramedics, people handling calls. This will have a material impact on potentially on people that are calling 999. But I just stress we don't know yet precisely what kind of action the union is going to take Just because they've announced strike action doesn't necessarily mean it will go ahead. Also, on Thursday, you've been reporting this story about the nursing vacancies, which is, of course, another big factor behind the strike. 
What are the key issues around recruitment? Pretty shocking stats today. Uh, one in seven nursing positions in London are vacant. So we have, uh, by the end of September, we had 11, more than 11,000 posts that had not been filled. So that's around 15% of all of the kind of registered nursing posts in the capital. That's up by 2% in a year. So the trajectory, unfortunately, is going up. And this is very much tied into the strikes. So a large part of why nurses are striking is because of shortages. And when you have staff shortages in a hospital, it often forces you to work longer hours, running on goodwill often, and to work in an environment that is just a lot more pressurized and a lot more stressful. So I I think the fact that so many of these posts continue to be vacant after such a long time, unfortunately, says a lot about the kind of conditions in the NHS and pay is tied to that. So clearly, people are not coming in to the nursing industry in, you know, in the numbers that the government would like. And they're going to have to address that in the long term. It's a bit of a crystal ball question, but what's your view on the challenges facing the NHS into 2023? Any sign of those waiting times coming down? Yeah, I think that the NHS, I mean, they've set some very ambitious targets and I think the waiting list will come down, certainly for the, you know, the really long waits, the 18-month waits. They'll point to data that shows that is already coming down, particularly in London. So, yeah, they don't want people waiting up to two years for a hip operation. That just isn't a sign of a functioning health service. However, in terms of the longer issues with the workforce, I think it will take a very long time for this to correct itself. NHS doctors and kind of unions argue this has been a sort of 12-year, even 15-year degradation. Um, Real-terms pay cuts, unhappiness with working conditions, shortages. This has been bubbling under the surface for a very long time. I think if the government do offer uh, the NHS workers a pay rise, it certainly won't be anything close to what what some unions are demanding. We know the Royal College of Nursing want around 19%. I don't think they're going to get that. If they do come to a settlement, it, it will probably be something considerably lower than that. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Friday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.